if I were to title what I was going to say to you tonight, I would say, promoted to the status of a servant. I want to talk about promotion. Promoted to the status of a servant. I know about a lot of people in this room tonight who, if you talked with them for about five minutes, somehow the conversation would wind down to the fact that they want to find God's will for their life. And they feel some restlessness, some anxiety in their heart that they're not being as purposeful, they're not being as useful as they would like to be, and time isn't on their side. Even young people, even especially young people I'm talking about. Now, first of all, I think that's a wonderful thing. If you don't feel some anxiety about missing the ship, well, then it's because you're asleep and the ship is already beyond your horizon. We need to know that the times and the seasons belong to the Father's authority. And that when the ship is passing by our dock, we have to time our action so that we can get on board when it's opening, its gateway coincides with our dock, with our landing. Amen? We wait, we wait, we wait, we wait, and we say, Lord, show me the time, and we take a step. We don't take that step, and we don't know from then on what our life is missing. Amen? Simon, Peter, Andrew, your brother, follow me. We don't get up and start walking. We don't know what we're missing. We'll never know. We'll sit there mending our nets saying, mending our nets saying to each other, that was kind of funny, wasn't it? Yeah, that guy seemed pretty sure of himself, what, didn't he? And we won't know what on earth we're missing. We don't know how many people that happened to in the life of Jesus, do we? Because we just know about the people who responded. Matthew, the tax collector, standing in his booth, the Lord walks by, follow me. And he puts down everything. He leaves his business, and he just gets up and walks away. They had an epiphany. They had a feeling. They had a revelation in that moment. They couldn't have articulated it. They couldn't have defined it. They couldn't have told you why. But they couldn't help but get on board. Start moving. Their heart was burning within them. Are you with me so far? So it's good to be anxious because if we're not anxious on some level, we're going to miss it. The opportunities of life are not as sluggish as we oftentimes allow ourselves to be. So let's say that I'm talking to the crowd of people who doesn't want to miss it, who doesn't want to live for nothing, who wants to find their place, wants to overcome this feeling of directionlessness. So, God, am I supposed to start this business? Am I supposed to pursue this pursuit? Am I supposed to advance agriculture? Am I supposed to start a ministry? Am I supposed to join a ministry? Am I supposed to serve somebody? How, am I, how is this supposed to happen, God? And the world has a lot of answers to offer you. Okay? What would you say the world, if the world was trying to help someone who was afraid that life was going to leave them behind, what would the world say to you? The stars are out of reach. Is that what they say to you? Huh? The stars, the, the stars are the limit. The sky is the limit. Reach for the stars. That's it. Reach for the stars. The sky is the limit. 
You can be only what God made you to be. Isn't that what they say? What do they say? You can be anything you want to be. It's like a scripture, you know? First worldly foolishness, two in one. You can be anything you want to be. Is that true? I'd like to be Mother Teresa. Can I be here? Well, some people think they can. I think not. Amen? I don't really want to be Mother Teresa, bless her heart. You cannot be anything you want to be. But they say that. Don't underestimate yourself. Don't limit yourself. All these have some truth in them. I'll give them that. Well, some of them do. Okay, what are some of the other things the world offers? Believe in yourself. That's it. Put number one first. Build your self-esteem. God help us. <laughs> if only we could tear some of that down. So the world also sees that there is a need to help people find their meaning and direction. And it has a lot of really powerful Bible verses that everyone has memorized, the whole world has memorized them, and they parrot them, these mantras without power, they parrot them to each other and, and then march off into whatever their field of, of drudgery is, and slowly but surely they die the slow death of realism. <laughs> Amen? But at high school graduation, it's incredibly compelling, I'm sure. Put yourself out there. That's, that's a big one. So, would you say that's how it works in the kingdom of God, too? No, no. In the kingdom of God, we don't want to succeed. We want to fail. <laughs> would you accept that? No. Thank you. No, in the kingdom of God, we just want to be little cogs. We don't want to do anything great. We don't want our life to amount to anything. We just want to be insignificant. That's, that's our goal. Would you, uh, would you accept that at face value? So would you accept that in the kingdom of God we do want to succeed? We do want to find and realize and fulfill our purpose and potential? Would you accept that? Because I do. Would you agree that God has put gifts inside of us that if we leave dormant, we dishonor Him as our maker, as the giver of those gifts? That He wants us to find our gifts, to realize them, to use them, and that we will find purpose and fulfillment in doing so. Okay, so how are we going to do it? Put yourself out there. Would you accept that as the means? Would you accept it? No? Well, what would you say would be the answer instead? Say, for example, look at someone in the kingdom of God and say, you know what? So-and-so is such an inspiration to me. Sister so-and-so is such an inspiration to me. Brother so-and-so. I want to be more like them. Have you ever felt that way about somebody? I have. That's a good thing to feel. We'll find out in a minute that it's a biblical thing to feel. It's a big part of finding your your stride and your direction and coming into, fru into your, your fruition. So, let me ask you. Say to yourself, pick someone in your mind. You imagining? Imagine someone. Okay, imagine? All right. So, 
You look at them and you say, I like what they do. I like where they go. I like the influence they have. I like the purpose that seems to surround them. So how am I going to get that in my life? I know I need to show people that I've got the same gifts that they have. And if I'll show them, they'll all see. <laughs> they'll be like, you're what we've been waiting for. And doors will just swing open so fast, it'll be incredible. I can almost hear your smiles. Or maybe it's you fidgeting in your seat with nervousness. That... Is that a, is, do you think that's going to work? Why not? So let me ask you this. Let me make it more difficult. If you keep your talent buried and nobody ever sees it, you nor God nor his people ever see it, does it have any chance of succeeding, of growing, of maturing? So we've got, we've said no to both here. We, we need to choose a, a path. What's wrong with the idea that says you need to put yourself out there? Putting yourself out there, you may, people may notice your talents and your gifts. That may be a temporary boost to your ego. But it's not a goal unto itself. Do you understand? What are your gifts for? What is the ultimate purpose for those gifts? Is the purpose of your gifts to be praised and lauded and accepted? And is that the meaning that we're after? To be a star? To be famous? Is that what we're after? No, it's not. So we have to know Okay, Lord, I want to find my purpose, and my gifts are the means to finding that purpose. But what is that purpose? To bring glory to God by serving and strengthening God's people. Amen? Your gifts are the how, but love is the what. Amen? And if you've got all the how in the world, but it never brings you to the what. It's like putting your car up on blocks and just spinning your tires until your engine burns up. And people may come by and look at the miles, you know, the RPMs and say, wow, that is the most powerful engine I've ever seen. But it won't give you the kind of fulfillment as a vehicle taking you to another destination, climbing up a mountain, bringing you to a goal. The goal and the destination is love. The gifts are how you engage in sharing that love with God's people. Now, in my experience, people who have found their place, they did not find it by pursuing an abstraction. Saving the world is an abstraction. Winning souls is an abstraction. In fact, preaching the gospel is an abstraction. These are all abstract terms. Let me make them concrete. God, I've got such a burden for my daughter. I, I, I long for her soul to be saved. Now it's not an abstraction. Are you with me? Lord, I want so-and-so to hear the good news of how they can die in repentance, bury their old man, and be free in the life of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a version of preaching the gospel that's not an abstraction. 
But we have these abstractions, these labels that are really abstractions that we like to hold up as our banners or our purposes. But that's not how I've ever seen anybody come into their place in the kingdom of God. In fact, many times those are the people who have a harder time finding their place than anybody else. And I think it's a very dangerous thing for someone to be filled with gifts and not find the place where those gifts are supposed to be offered as a sacrifice and love service. In training animals, I've read and known my whole life that the more intelligent the animal, the more demanding and rigorous the work routine and the exercise routine has to be for that animal. Have you ever noticed that Border Collies really don't like sitting in kennels, but they tend to complain a lot with sharp, piercing complaints that kind of sound like yap, yap, yap? You ever notice that? Do you know why that is? You may look at another dog, say, and you say, well, he's so docile. He's so easy. He just sleeps in the kennel all day long. It's just wonderful. What's the difference between the Border Collie and the Basset Hound? There's a couple differences. <laughs> but the difference in his response to his environment is that the Border Collie is extremely gifted. The Border Collie is the most intelligent dog that we have in the world. And it has been trained, it has been put inside of him to fulfill a purpose. And that is a very challenging purpose. He has the capacity in his, in his makeup to surmount challenges. Now, if you have that capacity to surmount challenges and you don't start surmounting challenges that are good to surmount, you will find other challenges. You'll start tearing, you'll figure out, you'll turn your intelligence toward destruction and you'll start tearing apart the dog kennel. <laughs> The most intelligent dogs are the most obnoxious. They're the ones people can't stand. They are the most gifted. And I find it is the same way with people. People who do not find an outlet where they can really put their gifts on the altar of purpose and service to other people, they will destroy themselves. Some people can sit around and be so happy and passive with so little. And some people just feel so uptight and driven. They end up turning to all manner of vice because they don't have an outlet. They have not found their calling. They have not found their purpose. We've got to find it. And if you don't find it, if it's burning inside of you and you don't find it, you are in danger of destroying yourself and others. I would be lying to you if I did not tell you that the most destructive people that I have ever known were the most gifted. They turned their incredible gifts and intelligence toward something other than love service. Karl Marx was a brilliant Jewish man. And as such, he had a call on his life. 
did he use it for the kingdom of God or did it do something entirely different? Many of these people, they're not stupid. They're incredibly gifted. God gave the gifts. And the gifts and callings of God are what? Without repentance. It means God doesn't repent of what he gave and take it back. They're irrevocable. He's given you gifts. He's put things inside of you. He may give you more. The parable of the talents indicates he could. He may give you more gifts. He may give you gifts because of your perseverance. He may give you gifts through the laying on of hands. But he's put gifts inside of you. And it's up to you what you're going to do with those gifts. And that is a terrifying decision and choice. Because you're going to be accountable. To whom much is given, from him much will be required. So how are you going to find your place? How are you going to come into that place of fulfillment? Oh God, I want your anointing to use me. Maybe you have a gift in natural areas, in diaconate function. Maybe you have a gift in proclamation. Maybe you have a gift in teaching. Maybe you have a gift in music. Maybe you have a gift in songwriting. Maybe you have a gift in ministries of helps or performing of miracles. Who knows what gifts God's put inside of you? If you don't find out how to put those gifts on the altar of love service, they're going to destroy you. And they're going to destroy everything around you. You are going to be the border collie frustrated by the meaninglessness of a life that falls short of the high calling that God has called you to. You're going to frustrate people. You're going to frustrate yourself. You're going to frustrate God and his purpose, his plan. Thank you, Jesus. I have to feel this with conviction because I am thinking of people I know. So how, how does it happen? Does it happen by putting yourself out there and by all the other self-exaltation scriptures of the world? Is that how it happens? Does it happen by marching forward under the banner of abstractions, noble causes? Is that how it happens? How does it happen, my friend? How does it happen? Because love is the goal. It can never be divorced or separated too far from the means, the gift. Amen? It is the more excellent way. There are other ways. There are less excellent ways. And those other ways may help people. They'll hurt you. They may profit others, but they will profit you nothing. Love is the only way. And love in a concrete sense. A burden of love, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Now I ask you, is it more often, how does that burden of love start? When, you, when I say a burden of love, do you picture helping people in desperate need? Hmm? Don't be afraid, do you? I think that's what most people would expect. People in need. Needy people. Huh? Is that how the apostles came into their ministry? Jesus said, go love the needy. When was their school of, 
of ministry training that brought them into their place. When did that happen? Wasn't it a process? For three and a half years? What did he say to Peter? Follow me and I will make you. I will turn you into a fisher of men. When did they get turned into these fishers of men? There were moments when he sent them here and there, and those were rare. They were the exception. So what was their burden? Was it for themselves? How do you move into that place of carrying a burden? You don't even know the burdens to carry. You don't even know they're there. You don't start by following the sick, and they will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me. Walk with me, and let me love people. And in doing so, learn how to love people my way. I'm going to be loving you, and I'm going to be loving others. Their burden of love was first and foremost to Jesus. They loved him. And there arose a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. And Jesus said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood with me, who have stood by me in all my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, so I grant you. He says, we think of the one who reclines as the greater and the one who gives the food as the lesser. But he says, I'm the one who brings the food, and you're the one who reclines. Jesus says that he was among them as the servant. He was among them as the servant. He was the greatest, and yet he was among them as the servant. And then he says, you are those who have stood by me in all my trials. He tells them that your paradigm of greatness is not my paradigm. But he says, you have done something that is going to result in the reward that you're looking for. A kingdom is going to be given to you. Power and dominion, inheritance and fulfillment is going to be bequeathed to you. And why? Because you are those who have stood by me in all my trials. I have been serving. I have been loving. 
I have been dying in my service to those around me. But you have been there as aides, as assistants, as servants to the servant. And because of this, the very thing you think you're going to achieve by one-upmanship, you're actually going to achieve by just becoming aides to the servant. They're asking who's the greatest. And he sees that what they want is a kingdom. What they want is to become part of a real kingdom. But the kind of authority and the kind of power in this kingdom is not one of self-advancement, of self-aggrandizement, of self-promotion, or of the power of coercion. The kind of power in this kingdom is who can serve those who need service. Who can give love where it's needed, food where it's needed. And he says, if you can get accustomed, if you can be someone who stands by the servant, then you're going to receive the same kingdom that he has received from the Father. If somebody can ever turn and look at you one day, just hours before Gethsemane, like Jesus is here, and squeeze your hand and say to you, you have been with me in all my trials. Then you know that the mantle of anointing is going to rest on your shoulders. You have been with me in everything we've gone through. We've gone through it together. Then you know that the fulfillment of your ministry, your place in the kingdom, is right at hand. They are not a ladder for you to climb over. They are not a badge for you to wave around. They are people on trial. They are people under pressure. They are people laying their lives down. And they need men who will stand with them in all their trials. And if you can make yourself such a man, then you are going to receive the very thing your flesh would try to make you achieve by self-advancement you're going to receive the kingdom. You're going to come into the place of responsibility, of anointing, of power. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John 13, you call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly you, you do so for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He was trying to invert 
their expectations. Do you see that? Who is that faithful and wise servant whom the master will find giving the slaves their food in due season? Amen. Who is that man who will step up and just be willing to stand by him, by the other man in all his trials? Who is the armor bearer to Jonathan? Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer responded to him, Do all that is in your heart to do. Does the direction come from the armor bearer? Hmm? The word of faith, does it come from the armor bearer? Does the responsibility lie on the chest of the armor bearer? No. But he stands with his master. He stands with his teacher in all his trials. The armor bearer responded, do all that is in your heart to do. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. Remember the time when Saul almost captured David? Instead, David came within inches of capturing Saul and reversed the tide of intimidation. Do you remember that? Well, they came and they said, David, the camp, the army of Saul is bearing down against you. 1 Samuel 26. He sent out scouts and he said, go see if this is so. And they came back and they said, my Lord, we have confirmed the army of Saul is bearing down against you. David found where they were camping. You could just feel the fear vibrating through David's whole camp. And there's this line there in 1 Samuel 26 where David says, turns to his men and he says, Who among you will go down to the camp of Saul with me tonight? By himself. And one man, Abishai, raises his hand. I'm going to go. You'll find that Abishai stands by David from that point on to the very end. He is with him in all his trials. They go down, and that's when the tide of battle turns, the tide of intimidation and pursuit. I'm telling you something. That's all God is looking for. He's looking for men when something has to be done. And the whole crowd is scared. And somebody stands up and says, I'm going. Who's going with me? He's looking for that man who will believe in the other man. Not in an abstraction. Not in a cause, not in a platitude, but
but in the man and the word that is burning in his heart. And we'll say to that man, I'll go. It's not stupid. It's not unrealistic. We'll do it. Somehow, we'll do it. That's who God is looking for. I'll tell you, I've been so humbled today, last night and today, looking around at those men in my life. I am so grateful. But I'm telling you, that's how they got where they got. Not because they were more clever, not because they put themselves out there, not because they advanced their own agenda, but because when something had to be done, they said, I'll go, it can be done. And we did it. And we did it again and again and again and again and again and again. And someday we're going to look at each other when we're old. And we're going to say to each other, you have stood with me in all my trials. Listen to this scripture in Hebrews 13. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said to you, I will never leave you. Never will I forsake you. See, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now listen to this. Next word. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke the word of God to you. Think about the outcome of their way of life and conduct and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now there's a little nuanced subtlety in that. He starts off saying, don't be afraid. The Lord will never leave you or forsake you. And then he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In theological terms, he's made a sandwich. And in between, he's given the reason for the two things that surround it. He's saying that Jesus Christ, his power, his word, his faith, his direction, his spirit, his love, it will remain a reality in your life if you will remain in the right relationships by remembering your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, thinking about the outcome of their conduct and imitating their faith. That's how he never leaves you or forsake you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see the sandwich? He said, I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. What are the next words out of the Apostle Paul? He said, I don't want to know anything among you except the weakness of Jesus. Jesus Christ and him crucified. What are his next words? Jesus was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. Is that what he said? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What are the next words? Jesus was with you in fear, in weakness, and much trembling, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Is that what he says? He's talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
What does he say? I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness. See the connection he's making? The reality of the cross is as real as our willingness to be with each other in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Amen. You know, some of you, you need to look around and you need to find someone who's conduct you admire. Amen? And you need to imitate their faith. It is enough that a, that, a, that a disciple be like his teacher. Amen? You need to say, I want to do what you're doing. So I want to stand with you in all your trials. I want to be a servant. You're the one loving Jesus. Or brother, you're the one doing the loving. But let me help you do the loving. And in doing so, learn how to love also. Let me make loving easier for you to do. And in doing so, maybe I'll learn how to love also. I'm putting a key in your hand tonight. Can anybody please take this key? Your future is in your hands, but it's not because of self-advancement. It's because of service, the heart of a servant that can rise up inside of you. It says, God, this is what I want to do. I don't know how to do these things, but I do know how to make his life easier in doing them. Some of you, you're envious of people. You look at the place that they have. You say, I wish I had such a meaningful life. I wish I had such influence. I wish I, I wish I could do those kind of things, go those kind of places. Why does he have that? Perhaps you even judge God. Maybe you say, I have the same gifts, but nobody notices. Maybe you say, God hasn't given me the same gifts. Maybe you say, if I had the gifts to speak, then I would be doing the same things, and it's not fair that I don't have that kind of gift. I want to ask you, is it the gift or the heart that's more important? I am telling you something. If you would just assume your place of service wherever God has put you, and say, God, it's my duty to expand this place, and see the kingdom of God become vibrant and real in this place like never before, and seek the Lord for his anointing to expand that place in service for someone else. Not in advancing your own name. But in serving someone else in their ministry. If you would do that, you would see an anointing and an inspiration come on you that you can't imagine right now. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. But we are working together. Amen? Because none of us are trying to seek the advancement of our name or ourself. But we are working together so fast, so quickly. We're coming together. We're working together. And look what God is able to fashion 
Because we come together. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody reminded me this week of Luke, the man who wrote the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke, the greatest narrative writer of the New Testament. He writes the entire account about Jesus. Beautiful, powerful, compelling. Do you remember what he said about himself in that account? Do you remember the passage in, in the Gospel of Luke that is devoted to Luke, telling us about Luke? Do you remember that passage? I don't either. How about the book of Acts? What would the church be without the book of Acts, I ask you? What would we be without the book of Acts? He tells about every one of Paul's great messages, his, his trials, his confrontations, his journeys, his, his triumphs. He tells the entire story of Paul. And do you know he was with Paul that entire time? Find me the name Luke in the book of Acts. You'll see his other companions, but find me the name Luke in the book of Acts. And show me where he writes about himself. There is not one comment about who he is, what he did, what he took part in. And yet Paul, as Brother Nathan reminded me, in 2 Timothy 4 says to Timothy, do your best to come to, to me quickly. For Demas, because he loves the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. I am alone. Only Luke is with me. There were times when he was the only man at the side of the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he never talked about himself. But you know what I think Paul said to him? Toward the end there, when he had finished the race, run the course, and he was ready, I think Paul might have grabbed his hand and said, Luke, you have been with me in all my trials. None of us are Paul's, but all of us can be Luke's. Amen. We can find our places of service. I am proud to say I am a servant. I am not my own man. I do not dictate my schedule. I do not dictate my own time. I can be as supple as a yo-yo because my task is not to advance my agenda or my name. My task is to serve those who are greater than me. And when the day comes, I hope I can hear them say, you have been with me in all my trials. I was not your ladder. I was not your means to an end. I was your friend. You need to find someone whose conduct you admire and attack
detach yourself and begin to imitate their faith. Walk like they walk, talk like they talk, serve where they serve, learn whatever they do, follow them as far as they follow Christ. You are needed, not as, an, as a maverick on your own, but you are needed to come stand with God's men as they lay themselves down in love service for his people. The Lord's not going to thank us for all the trips we took, for all the accolades we received. He's not going to thank us for all the praise of men and all the acceptance of men. He's not going to thank us for those things. He's going to thank us for standing with him in his trials. Amen. Him in the least of one of these, his brothers. A Paul, a Peter, a Timothy, a Titus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Do you feel faith? Do you see the pathway toward fulfillment and coming into your place and realizing your gifts? Do you see it? Let's do it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. When you feel that love, when you feel that weight of love come upon your heart, you're hearing the calling of God on your life. And it's more likely to start serving the one who serves than it is serving the needy right off the bat. They became those who served the needy, didn't they? Did they not become those who shadow healed people? Those whose handkerchiefs once anointed healed the sick, raised the dead? Did they not? But it all came. That was the kingdom. When the 72 came back, Jesus rejoiced greatly. And he said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. That's the kingdom coming. But that kingdom comes because they knew their place with him. And Peter said, when he said that about you stood with me on all my trials, Peter said, and I'm going to go with you to the end. That's actually when he made that big promise that he broke. But he came back, didn't he? When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When it's not about you, when you haven't even made standing with me something about you, but it's really about me and my love for the sheep, you're going to, you're going to be converted and you're going to be an incredible strength to your brothers.